0: Please uh, turn in your Bible or your device to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And let's continue our study of what has uh, just been sung for us, the Lord's Prayer. Now we're going to focus our attention on Jesus' list of requests in his prayer. This is what Jesus says in Matthew, chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Jesus says, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In this prayer, Jesus is giving me a prayer pattern that teaches me how I should approach God and gives me suggestions on what I should talk to God about. And in this prayer template, Jesus teaches me to Ask. To ask God for the things I need. When it comes to the needs I have for God in my life, Jesus teaches me to just ask. And you may be saying, well, what kinds of needs? What 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 kind of requests should I be asking God for? Well, in this prayer, Jesus highlights three prayer need areas. And for each of these needs, Jesus teaches me to come to God and just ask. So, let's study these three need areas that Jesus mentions in his model prayer. First, Jesus invites me to ask God for my personal needs. Jesus prays, give us today our daily bread. Now, think about this word, bread. Because this is a significant word choice. Now, at first hearing Jesus' line, give me today my daily bread, sounds like going straight for the small potatoes, doesn't it? I mean, in prayer, I've got Almighty God on the line. Uh, Shouldn't I be asking for something bigger than bread? But that is Jesus' point. Jesus' point is that the simplest needs in life are also the biggest needs. Is bread a small need or a big need? It depends, right? Bread seems like the smallest need when I have it. But it becomes a big need if I don't. If I don't have any food, and I'm starving, and my children are hungry, suddenly bread is my biggest need in life. And this is the way it is with all my personal requests of God. A new job is a small need when I have a job, but it's a huge need when I don't. Health is a small need when I have it. But it's a huge need when I don't. Peace of mind and confidence and hope are small needs when I have them. But they are huge when I don't. When Jesus says, Give me today my daily bread, He's, he's praying as a person who is hungry and needs bread. If you have lots of bread... Don't pray for bread. Ask God for what you do need. And be specific. Jesus doesn't say, give me some nutrients. No. He says, give me bread. Jesus teaches me to ask specifically about my specific personal needs. Whatever they are right now. No request is too small or too big for God. God says, would you please just Ask. But there's another truth that Jesus is teaching in this phrase, Give me today my daily bread. Who do you think used this phrase in Jesus' day? Uh, Give me today my daily bread. You think this is a phrase that uh, an employee would use on payday? Or uh, that neighbors would, uh, a phrase neighbors would uh, use with each other? No. So, who would use this phrase in Jesus' day? Kids! Jesus is intentionally quoting a phrase that little kids around him would say to their dads on an everyday basis. Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have some bread? That's right. Jesus is taking another opportunity to teach me about the kind of relationship that God wants with me. God wants me to relate to him in the way a little kid relates to a good and loving dad. God wants me to ask for things like little kids ask their dad. My kids ask me for things all the time. And I love it. I love it when my kids come to me with requests. Uh, when they were younger, my kids and I had a piggyback, uh, we had a bunch of piggyback games that we would play. And about every day, they would find an opportunity to say, Dad, can I have a piggyback ride now? Uh, late at night, one or two kids would toddle into uh, the bedroom and say, Dad, I heard noises. I'm scared. Or, uh, Dad, I feel woozy. I, I don't feel very well. These days, they're, of course, older, and it's more like, Dad, I, I lost something. Can you help me find it? Or, Dad, could you help me with my homework? Or my favorite request is, uh, uh, well, we have a farm near our house that uh, sells the best ice cream. And uh, I love it when every, about every day a kid says, uh, Dad, can we go to the farm and get some ice cream? And I consider it my biblical duty to <laughs> model to them what god is like as a father so i give my kids their daily ice cream uh, my, my wife agrees that there is a biblical principle involved here but she says the principle that i'm supposed to teach is not give us our daily ice cream it's lead us not into temptation but that's a that's a different opinion uh, when jesus tells me to pray Give me today my daily bread. Jesus is intentionally quoting a phrase that a little kid would say to a dad. And this is the kind of easy-going, asking relationship that God wants with me. God wants me asking Him stuff, big things and little things, all day and all night. And He loves it. So when I lose something, And I can't find it I ask God for help when I hear strange noises that make me nervous I ask God for courage when I'm not feeling well I ask God to make me better and just like I am eager to answer my kids request for ice cream God is a dad who loves it when I ask. And he loves to say yes. But that doesn't mean that God always says yes. Whenever I ask God, God always answers. But he doesn't always answer yes. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is Better yet. Sometimes I ask for something that I think is good, but it's not good enough for God. And so in his love, God answers my request with a better yet. How about this? Now the problem is that from my human perspective, when God answers better yet, to me it looks like a no sometimes it is impossible to know what God is saying or how God is responding to my ask of Him in prayer. If I'm praying for a loved one who uh, has a terminal disease and I am praying every day fervently for healing and there is no sign of healing, I don't know whether God is saying no, or better yet, or Yes, just keep asking. If I come to the end of the process and my loved one dies, God answered my prayer, but certainly not in the way that I wanted him to. Maybe God's answer was, better yet, where the better was eternity with him. But from my human perspective, God's better yet looks like a no. It looks like, from my human perspective, that God wasn't listening to anything I I said in prayer. It looks like God didn't care, or that my asking made no difference at all. And this leads some believers to get very disillusioned with asking God in prayer. This is a big issue. And I'm going to speak a little bit more to this uh, in a few minutes. The truth is, we don't know what is happening in the spiritual world when we pray, when we ask God for something. We don't know how our asking touches God's heart. We can't prove that God listens or that it affects God in any way. We can't prove it. We don't know how prayer affects God, but Jesus does. And if I say, I believe in Jesus, and those listening to me now, for the most part, say they believe Jesus and what he says. If I believe that, then I believe what Jesus says about prayer. And Jesus taught that asking God makes a world of difference. This is a principle that Jesus didn't teach once or twice. He taught over and over again. In the very next chapter, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, Finds, and to him who knocks the door which will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your child asks for bread. Hmm, Sound familiar? Give me my daily bread, dad. Which of you fathers, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How? much more will your Abba Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him. Jesus taught that asking God for good gifts makes a big difference. Jesus taught that there is a big quality of life difference between the person who asks God for good gifts and the person who doesn't ask. Not only did Jesus teach the power of asking in prayer, Jesus showed it. He proved the power of asking in his ministry. Almost all Jesus' miracles happen because someone asked Jesus for a miracle. Jesus cures a man of leprosy because the leper asked Jesus. Jesus heals a paralyzed man because he asked Jesus. Jesus raises a man's daughter from the dead because he asked Jesus. Peter walked on water because he asked Jesus. I could go on and on and on. What was true when Jesus was here on earth is true today. Where God does something miraculous, it's because somebody asked. If you believe Jesus, and you believe what He means and what He says, you believe that asking God for your personal needs really makes a difference. So, do it. Just That's personal needs. Next, Jesus invites me to ask God for my relational needs. Jesus prays, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Note that Jesus begins with my most important relational need. What is it? My deepest relational need is to be at peace with God through the process of confessing my sins and receiving God's forgiveness. Now, there's a healthy way and an unhealthy way to approach confession. Uh, It is unhealthy to approach confession as a prolonged period of groveling before God with lots of memory digging to try to come up with a list of my failures and things that i did or didn't do over the past days or weeks or years, it is unhealthy to approach confession as a time for making lots of promises uh, to God to do better. Uh, God doesn't want me coming uh, to Him like an underperforming employee saying, Oh, boss, just give me one more chance and I'll do better. No. This is not healthy, and it's not in keeping with the tone that Jesus sets in the very first word of his prayer, Abba, Dad. The healthy approach is to see confession in prayer as simply being honest with God. Every relationship rises and falls on honesty. The good thing about being honest with God is that He already knows my failures and He already loves me and accepts me. So confession in prayer doesn't need to be long. After all, look at Jesus' prayer. Jesus summarized confession in one, two, four words. Confession is not about digging up sins and trying to remember failures. Confession is being honest about the elephants in the room and saying, God, forgive me, help me, change me through your power and your presence in my life. God knows that the biggest danger to my relationship with Him is not sin. It is Guilt. It is the feelings of guilt over unconfessed sin in my life. God knows that guilt makes me want to hide from Him. And so God wants to banish guilt from my heart and mind as His child. God wants me to come as His child, confess, and then relax. In His complete love and forgiveness. This is His promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. But just as God knows that uh, the biggest danger to my relationship with Him is guilt... God knows that the biggest danger in my relationships with others is my anger and unresolved conflict. Because God loves me, He teaches me to come to Him for the strength I need to forgive people who hurt me. Uh, Sometimes people hurt me and they don't even know that they did it. And so... God calls me to go to others uh, in a spirit of honesty and explain how I have been hurt and give the other person a chance to reconcile with me. But sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes people don't want to reconcile. In that case, God says, you just forgive. In this prayer, Jesus does not call me to reconcile with people. He calls me to forgive people. Of course, Jesus wants me to try to reconcile, but sometimes it is impossible. Why? Because reconciliation takes two people. But forgiveness is always possible. Because forgiveness is a unilateral decision to release To release a person from my anger and from my desire for retribution or revenge. This is what the word forgiveness means in the original Greek. It means to release. This is what I receive from God when He forgives me. And this is what I must give to others who hurt me on a daily basis. And notice how important it is to God that I forgive as I have been forgiven. Uh, As soon as Jesus ends his prayer, he says amen, he opens his eyes, and he says this in verse 14. If you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will uh, forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, it is too strong to say that God's forgiveness is conditioned on my forgiving others. But Jesus is certainly teaching that there is a strong connection between the two. And this strong connection is meant to motivate me to do what is the hardest thing to do. Forgive a person. Who has done evil against me. And this word evil leads us now to the last prayer area. In his prayer, Jesus invites me to ask God for my spiritual needs. Jesus teaches me to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, before we say what this line means, we must first say, What this line does not mean. Uh, The way this line gets translated in English, this line sounds like I'm asking God, God, would you please do me a favor and not mess me up by leading me into temptation? We know that this is not what Jesus means. This meaning, first of all, is totally inconsistent with what Jesus teaches about God being my Abba, Dad, who wants me to succeed, not set me up for failure. Also, the Bible specifically tells us that God never tempts people. In James chapter 1, God says that He never tempts anyone. So, how should we read this line? Uh, Let me just tell you... Thousands of pages have been written on how to interpret these words. And I've read a good deal of those pages. And if you ask me, this is a case where the whole problem can be solved by one well-placed comma. I think the line should read like, Lead us, comma, or dash, Not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now remember, in the ancient Greek, there is no punctuation. So we have to decide where the punctuation and pauses go. And I think a decision to place a comma or a dash after lead us makes it clear that that's the prayer. The prayer is, God, lead me. God, lead me away from the evil That comes from inside me. That's temptation. And God, lead me to victory over the evil that comes against me from the outside. That's the evil one. I find it interesting that uh, Jesus, in his model prayer, ends all uh, in this subject all about navigating evil in this world. Jesus says that I need to pray for the strength first to forgive those who do evil against me and I need to pray for the strength to defeat the evil that attacks me from the inside, temptation, and from the outside, the evil one. In James chapter 1, we're told that temptation comes from inner evil. Temptation comes from my inner evil desires. And so, I have a deep spiritual need. And this is something that Jesus teaches me to pray. I have a deep spiritual need to ask God to lead me. To lead me away from my own destructive appetites. But evil is not only on the inside. I'm also under attack from the outside. Evil. In this prayer, Jesus reminds me that this life... For God's children is not a playground. It is a battleground. And my spiritual life depends on following Jesus as he leads me to deliverance over the enticing lie of the evil one. You know, Satan's lie hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. Do you remember Satan's lie to Adam and Eve in the garden? The lie was the suggestion that by restricting them from one tree, God was withholding good from Adam and Eve. That God was not good. And that God's plan for them was not a plan for their good and their best. This is the lie that the evil one whispers in your ear. And now we come back to the problem that I mentioned earlier. The problem of how believers become disillusioned with God or with asking God for things in prayer because from their human perspective, their prayers go unanswered. Like God doesn't hear it or God doesn't respond or it doesn't matter. I am most vulnerable to the evil one when I go through tragedies and God doesn't do what I ask him to do. When I pray for healing and my loved one dies. When I pray for a job that doesn't come. When I pray for a child who never comes back. What I believe about God in these tragic moments determines whether I have deliverance over evil or I am defeated by evil. A few weeks ago, I saw two people who have been delivered from evil. And I saw them on TV. About three weeks ago, Piers Morgan conducted an hour-long interview with Rick and Kay Warren. Uh, Rick is the pastor of uh, the well-known Saddleback Church in California. And in this interview, Rick Warren wiped tears away from his cheek as he and Kay talked about their 27-year-old son, Matthew, who had borderline personality disorder and five months ago shot himself with a gun that he bought illegally online. And Rick and Cade described how their son had been battling thoughts of suicide for many years. But how on April 5th, Matthew was at their kitchen table having dinner. And how he just put his head on the kitchen table and said, I am so tired. And they hugged their son as he left their home and went to his house. And then they texted him throughout that night as he appeared to become more and more agitated. And then the texting suddenly stopped. And they knew. They just knew. And they tell how they stood there holding each other in front of Matthew's house as the coroner took their son's body away. And Rick said in the interview, We were sobbing. We were just sobbing. The day that I had feared might happen one day since he'd been born. And the day that I prayed would never happen, happened. Pierce then said, Rick, there must have been a moment after Matthew took his life when even you questioned your faith in God. And this is where Rick replied some very important words for us. Listen carefully. I never question my faith in God. I question God's plan. There's a big difference. I know God is a good God. Nothing can shake that from my life. I know God is a loving God. It's like my children. My children have never doubted that I love them. But sometimes they do doubt my wisdom. And they don't think I've made the right decision. I wrote in my journal one day that I'd rather have all my questions unanswered and walk with God than not walk with God and have all my questions answered. We have built our lives, our faith, our family, our ministry on the belief that because of Jesus Christ and because of what He did on the cross for us, we can have our past forgiven. We have purpose for living in this life. And we have a home in heaven. And for now, our purpose is God wants us to use our hurt. And one of the reasons we decided to do this interview with you is that maybe we could help some other people. And of course, millions upon millions of people have now heard this interview and have been helped and touched by God. In fact, Piers Morgan interviews people for a living. Piers Morgan has gone on record saying that out of the, all the hundreds and hundreds of interviews he's ever done, He's gone on record saying that his interview with Rick and Kay Warren is the most personally inspiring interview he has ever conducted. But beyond pointing people to Jesus, the Warrens did something else in that interview. They showed the world and us what it means to live out this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. On global television, the Warrens demonstrated what it looks like to have deliverance over evil rather than being defeated by evil. Evil wants the Warrens to run away, turn away from God, and crawl into themselves in hurt and pain and anger. But the Warrens are trusting God. And reaching out past their pain with love and a desire to help others. And this is how Jesus leads us to deliverance over evil. It will come into your life. This is how Jesus leads you to be delivered over it rather than defeated by it. And maybe this is your spiritual need today. Maybe like the Warrens, God hasn't done what you have asked Him to do. And so maybe you have a spiritual need to just trust God and ask God to lead you to deliverance over evil. Whatever your need is today, your Abba Father reaches out to you in love and says, Just ask. Whatever your personal need is today, just ask. Whatever your relational need is today, just ask. Whatever spiritual need, whatever needs you have, right now, come to me in prayer. Abba Father says, And just ask. Let's pray. So I'd like to give you that moment right now. I'll remind you that we have some men and women up here in the front afterwards that would love to just take a few seconds to ask God uh, for something related to your life. But right now, even before that, why don't you do that step, even right now. Just, you know what the biggest need is in your life. Would you start with that one? Whatever the biggest one or two needs you have are, in the personal or relational or spiritual need, would you just ask God for help?